Good morning, Machias family. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's right. That is the message of hope that we have. We're going to talk about that. But first, we're going to talk about it with the little ones. So come on up, all the kids. All right. How are you? How's everybody doing today? Bad. Yep. Bad? No. We got a lot of stuff in this magical bag today. We're going to take a look at some things. Yeah, no, no peeking. No peeking. See this? It's a smiley It's a smiley face. This represents the earth when God first created it. How can a plate do that? I don't know. <laughs> you have to use your imagination. Let's just say this represents the world that God created, and it's smiling and happy because everything in it was just right. Just right for the two people that God created. Now you can say, how does he do this too? Represented by these two pennies. Adam and Eve. Okay. You're just going to pretend. Okay. So, this represents Adam and Eve. And God put them together and put them in our world that was just right. They had everything they needed. God was there. And they could talk to God every day. Face to face. But then something very tragic happened. Snake. Yeah, part of it was a snake, huh? Now this, you're going to say, how can this represent that? This represents bad stuff that they did called sin. And sin is when we do stuff that's not right. I know. So, sin came into the world. So we have the sin of Adam... And we have the sin of Eve. Why you put that on the plate? Yeah. Because now sin is in the world. Do you think it's kind of messy? It is messy. And because it's messy, leave it there. Because it's messy, something had to be done. Because when sin happened, the relationship between the people, Adam and Eve, and God was broken. Yeah. And God was the supplier of everything they needed up to that point. And now they're kind of on their own because they're separated from God because of the sin that broke the relationship. Now, you guys sin, and I do too. And it doesn't mean our mom and dads don't love us. But in this case, God was so holy, he couldn't be with man anymore the way he was before because their sin separated them. So, he could have just said, what do you think? He could have just said, eh, let's just throw the whole thing away and start again. What do you think? No, he didn't say that, did he? He still loved them. And he said, I'm going to have a plan that's going to fix the relationship that we have so we can be together again. What do you think the plan was? He had a plan. Now, we're going to have to use our imaginations again. Because we're going to say this candle is Jesus. Go ahead, ask me. How can a candle be Jesus? No. Okay. <laughs> okay, we got to get this thing to burn up a little bit here. A little higher. All right. So God sent Jesus, who was the light of the world, the light of the world, into the world to fix the sin problem. So here he comes, and he's going to be in the world. Now, do you think Jesus was in the world and there was still sin there? Yes. Yeah, there is in this world, isn't there? This is extremely, <laughs> this is like, my glass is not here. <clears throat> so. Here's what happened. 
I'm going to tell you about this in a minute. Jesus came and he was unsinful and completely pure and white like this. So he came down and took the sin of all people and the sin that was belonged to us then belonged to Jesus. And he took upon himself our sin. And then at that moment, when he did went to the cross, he died. But that's not the end of the story. Because after he removed all the sin from the world, the pureness of Jesus, there's our people back into a world. Now, there's still sin in the world. But they're made pure by the sacrifice of Jesus. And then after his time in the tomb, God raised him again from the dead. And now he sits with God at his right hand, waiting for that final day when he's coming back to claim those that belong to him. And that's what we're talking about today. And that's hope. Yeah. Okay, that's it. And that's going to be the rest of the message that they're going to hear up here about the hope that Jesus brought, both for our eternal problem and our problem that we have every day. All right. Thank you, guys. Oh, boy. So, you might notice that I'm a little more streamlined than normal. I have a, I, I give myself haircuts. And if you saw the hair before this, you'll recognize that wasn't a very challenging endeavor. But evidently it was more challenging than I was able to deal with because I have a little attachment that I put on there to make sure that I keep it the consistent length. Well, I set up in the bathroom, and I put the little attachment on, and I set the shaver or the razor along here, and I hadn't clicked it on there well enough. And so I turned it on, and I start in the back, and I went, and there's this big wad of hair, and I think, that's way too much hair. And so then I got the little mirror and I looked in there and I said, well, this is the definition of commitment. (laughs) There was no going back. So I said, okay, this is what you get on Easter. (laughs) Oh, and so then um, we had some stuff for the the potluck we were going to bring and forgot to put it into the oven on time. And so got it out, got it ready to go, wasn't done. Put it back in 10 minutes, still wasn't done. Put it back in another 10 minutes, still wasn't done. We were 20 minutes late. I got to church, said, Carol, I left all my kids' object lesson stuff at home. (laughs) Okay, Tim, you go in, bring the late breakfast stuff in. I'll go back home and get it, only she forgot the glass. Or, or I didn't put it in there. There's a glass that I was going to put over the candle, and it would create a vacuum, and it would suck all of the wind into the glass as Jesus assumed the sins of others. And so on the fly, hopefully it still made sense. <laughs> uh, this is my first one of these on a resurrection day, and so there was a little, a little added stress. And so we pray downstairs before every service, and we really pray that, that the message that you're going to hear comes straight from God. If he would just bypass me and his Holy Spirit would speak directly to you, that was our prayer. And that everything that we said and did today would glorify God in our worship, in our fellowshipping together, in our giving, in in just being here, eating together. And then this time uh, where we hear God speak, and I really prayed that that would be the message that God wanted you to hear. All week I've been praying, God, give me, give me just the message that you want them to hear today. And so 
We'll see. We'll see. But there's a lot of things about this day that you've probably heard in sermons. This is the day, right? This is the day that as Christians, this is our big day. You know, Christmas is good. Jesus comes to the world as a man. But this is the day when the big event is celebrated. And so we've had lots of sermons about this day and the significance of the resurrection. And it is definitely significant. And we have heard lots of sermons about, okay, this particular event happened and and we talk about you know, the, the coming into Jerusalem on the week before and, and all of the, 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 the accolades that Jesus got and then how he was betrayed in, in the garden by Judas and, and how he was taken before Pilate and, and tried and, and false, uh, falsely accused of things he didn't do and then beaten and scourged and then how he uh, was taken on the road, you know, to Golgotha and carried the cross and, and had the crown of thorns and was placed on the cross and suffered and died and then was put in a tomb. Okay, you've heard those. I'm not going to talk about that today. What I'm going to talk about is the result of that. You've probably already heard all the details and heard the crucifixion story, but what I'm going to tell you is the result of that is that now we have hope both for eternity and for today. And both of those are necessary. We need hope. We talked about it a little bit in, at the breakfast downstairs. Hope is essential. Uh, hope is one of those things that every human being has a craving for deep in their soul because why? Why is it that we need hope? Because everything is broken. And including us, and I believe we were created in the image of God and placed in the garden, as I told the kids, and it was perfect. And God supplied, God created us with needs. I'm creating you with these needs. And and I'm going to give them to you and we're going to talk about them again. But you're going to have a need for meaning and purpose in your life. Uh, This life you're living has to mean something. And you're going to have a need for an identity. Somebody who who knows who they are and they're comfortable with that. And and, and they have a sense of self and self-worth. And and then you're going to need love and acceptance. And you're going to need satisfaction. You're going to need to do things that satisfy you. Like like there's some meaning and there there was something about this. I left a mark and I was able to do something that was significant in the lives of others. And we crave that. And it was given to us by God because we were created in His image. And then we needed security. We needed to feel safe. We needed someone to to be there to have our back. And and we we could tell that things weren't safe. And God created all those things in us, and then we sinned, and we broke it. And all of the things that we needed were still in there. I still need all those things, but instead now of being able to get it from God, where it was supposed to come from, I'm wandering around out here on my own, trying to find all of those things in places in which they don't exist. And in my soul, I know that this life is wrong. You were never created for sin. You were never created for death. You were never created for separation from God. That was the result of sin entering the world. And deep in your soul, you know this is wrong. Therefore, you need and crave hope. There has to be something better, we say to ourselves. At breakfast, we learned that you are telling yourself something now. You are. You are preaching a gospel of hope to your inner self every single day, whether you recognize that or not. Because the life is so hard, and this world is so difficult, and it is so broken, we have to believe somehow, some way, there's got to be something better. 
We can only go on, we can only motivate ourselves when we see the confusion and, and, and all of the despair that this life produces. There must be something better. There must be something that can fix in me what's broken. I know this is not good. I know this is not what God intended. There must be something. And so inside of you, you are preaching a gospel of hope of some kind. And if you're not a believer in Christ, you're still telling yourself something. If I just gain this thing, if I just can have this, if I just get enough money, if I just can get this career, if I can just find that perfect mate, then all these things that are broken in my world are going to be better. And you're telling yourself something like that. Hopefully not if you're a follower of Christ. But we're going to talk about that. Because there's only one real source of hope. And everything else is a pathway to frustration and anger and despair when we try to find the needs of our soul in any place but God. And so Jesus came and he provided that hope both for our eternity and for the time that we spend here on earth to have what God intended his children to have, and that was relationship and intimacy with each other and with him. That's the message of the resurrection. That's the big picture story was Jesus did something that allowed the broken things to be fixed and restore the relationship with God, the provider of all of our needs. So that's what we're focusing on. Hope. A feeling or expectation of something positive or a better outcome or event. Nobody hopes for something to be worse. And hope can only be hope when it fixes that which is broken. Okay. And so why do we need hope? Because you have issues. I, I have issues, <laughs> okay? We got problems. The life is full of problems. How many of you had any problems, like this morning? <laughs> How many problems in your life? Yeah, right? No shortage. No, 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 no shortage. But I don't know some of you, maybe. And I, and I don't know some of you, maybe, intimately enough, but I can tell you this. You only have, really, two problems. It all boils down to two problems. One of them is an eternal problem and the other one is a temporal problem right here in this life. The cause is the same. The solution is very similar. So we're going to talk about those and see how the resurrection, actually the, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ provided the solutions to both of your major problems right now. Uh-oh. You're going to have to advance the slide. Nothing's happening. Okay. The eternal problem. This is the big one, guys. This is the big one. This is the problem that overshadows every problem that you have. This is it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And when you sin, and you were born into a battle with God in which you were going to lose. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, we inherited their sin nature when we were born. And we start out our existence separated from God. All of us have sinned on our own. And fallen short. And that conclusion was that the wages of that sin is death or separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's what we're going to do. I need you to do this. You're going to take the words death and life. Scratch them out. Death equals separation from God. Life equals Love and intimacy with God. 
because these are just metaphors. I'm telling you, we were not born to die. Um, death is a result of sin, but you keep going. We're talking about physical death, right? I'm going to give you a lesson, God says. I'm going to allow you to die physically, but you're still going to live. The part of you that's really you is going to live on. But death is a metaphor for being separated from God. And so when he says this, the wages of sin is death, he doesn't just mean, yeah, you sin, now you're going to die physically, it's all over. No. He's talking about eternal separation from God. Okay, and, and temporal separation from God. Here we are, and if we haven't been reconciled back to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, then, then we're dying right now. You're dead because you have been separated from God. You're just walking around like a zombie. Because without intimacy with God, this life is terrible. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin was death or separation from God. That is your eternal problem. Here's the deal, folks. This is all going to end. Now, Jesus is going to come back someday, and it's going to be done with everybody. But someday, you and I, if it doesn't come before then, we're all going to be done with this life. Okay, and according to Scripture, this is the only chance we get. As far as I know, nobody gets saved after this. There are different views on that. But from everything we know and everything that I would share with you, this is, this is your only chance. During this life, if you aren't reconciled with God then you're going to stand before him. And there's going to be no excuses. There's going to be no justifications. There's going to be no, well, yeah, God, but I just didn't hear about you. You're going to be eternally separated from God. Our eternal problem when we were born was someday there's going to be a reckoning. And if I'm on the wrong side of that, I'm going to spend eternity separated from God. That, people, is your biggest problem in life. You don't have to accept that that's true. You don't have to believe it. You can reject it. You can dispute it. And it ain't going to make any difference when the day comes because it's the truth. One day, you will stand before God and he will either say, well done, my good and faithful servant, or be gone, I never knew you. Everyone. Every single human being that's ever been born is going to face that. And that is a human being's biggest problem because it's going to determine where you spend eternity and what that eternity is like. That is your biggest problem. So what is the solution? Next slide. John 11, 25 and 26 said, I am the resurrection and the life. Well, what's the life? Love and intimacy with God. I am the resurrection and the pathway to love and intimacy with God. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, is separated from God, he shall live, have intimacy with God. And anyone who lives, has intimacy with God, and believes in me, shall never be separated from God. Do you believe this? This was Jesus to Mary after Lazarus died. And she was sad, and he said, okay, I get it. Someone you loved is gone, but guess what? This is the truth. This isn't all there is. And if you accept what I have for you, you'll live forever. You are going to live, be intimate with God and one another, forever, eternity. No big deal, but guess what? Just for you, I'm going to bring him back to life. i got to wonder... From everything that I read in Scripture, <clears throat> the next one's way better than this one. I'm thinking Lazarus wasn't too happy. What? I was done with that. You're bringing me back, but that was God's will. And he did it to demonstrate his power over death. And he brought Lazarus back. And, and I'm sure his sisters were really happy. Once again, I'm not sure that was a great thing for him. But nonetheless, he did it. And he was trying to make a point. I own life and death. I am the key eternal life and if you reject me it's eternal death so the solution to the problem was living and believing in Jesus well if, if you're right Tim and here's some things you got to know God is absolutely just completely holy so holy that if you were to stand before him in your sinful nature you would be slain you would be evaporated because God is so awesomely holy that he cannot stand 
the presence of anything less than, anything broken, anything sinful. And he's absolutely just, meaning that everything that is less than has to be punished or corrected or done away with. I am absolutely holy. I am absolutely just, meaning that your sin has to be paid by someone or you can no longer exist. How do you get out of that conundrum? If God says, there's no way I can tolerate this, somebody's paying the price for this. Somebody is going to pay for your brokenness. Someone is going to pay for the sins that you have committed. Someone is going to pay. How much hope does that give us? Can I stand in front of God and say, hey, God, I think I can do that. I'm a little bit better than I was bad, and so if I can just stand in front of you and make the case, give me some time to argue. I'm pretty good at arguing, and so, God, I'm going to make a case that, yeah, I was the one guy that deserved to be put into your kingdom on his own merits. How do you think that will work for you? No, not very well. That's a loser, And so how did this all happen? How somebody had to pay. Somebody had to reconcile me back to God or my eternal destiny was looking very, very bleak. Next slide. How could this happen? Okay. How could this happen? Well, here's this Jesus guy. In fact, he's God. In fact, he's God. And in fact, he came to this world as a person, just like you and me, except he was fully God and fully man. And then he lived. And he lived a life, and he learned how to walk, and he learned how to talk, and he learned how to do things, and he was a carpenter. But guess what? He lived the perfect life. He lived the perfect life. He came. He was God. Only God could do that. He came. He lived the perfect life. And then he offers himself up at the end. And he says, look, I'm going I'm to offer my life. And they get him. And they put him on a cross. And he dies. And then days later, he rises from the dead. So what? How does that help me? That was God. God did that. How did that help me? Cool, you could do that, God. Nice of you to bring Jesus here. And he had some really good teachings and everything. And he died. But guess what? Lots of other people have died for their faith in God. Lots of other people. Now, none of them lived a perfect life, but they weren't God either. He had a a leg up on us on that one. But he died. And guess what? Other people have died for their faith. And that didn't help me a bit. And guess what else happened? Other people rose again. Lazarus was one of them. And guess what? That didn't do me any good either. The fact that Jesus died and rose again would not help you except for this. This is what really happened. This is what happened that you didn't see. I think God gave us the metaphors of physical death and physical resurrection. But this, this is what happened. This was between God and his son. And I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it all worked out, but this is it. For, his, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's what happened. How do you satisfy the righteousness and holiness of God? God says, this is how I do it. I'm going to pay. I am going to pay for you. And here's here's what's going to happen. I am going to put all of your filth, all of your brokenness, all of your sin, and in fact, enough for the whole world. And I am going to put it on myself, and I am going to rend myself. And at that moment, Jesus knew death, separation from his Father. As God looked away from Jesus who took your sin and my sin, he who knew nothing but holiness took on our sins. That's what saves you. 
Somebody else paid for you and took your sin. And God looked away from himself. We have no idea what that would be. I have no idea what it meant for God to become sin when he could know no sin, when he was absolutely holy. We don't know. We have a metaphor of this agony of the cross, and I'm sure it was, but that didn't save us. And we have this marvelous example of of victory over death by coming back to life in the flesh. But that's just a metaphor for what happened when God paid for your sin. This might get me in trouble. I'm going to say it anyway. Jesus' physical death on the cross was horrible. But that's not what saves you. This is what saves you. This is what saves you. Did, did God somehow put all of the sins of mankind in some sort of act where they, they thrust a spear into Jesus' side or pounded nails in his hands and feet? I don't think so. But he said... It's finished. And from that point on, I had hope. From that point on, you had hope. And then he he says, look, I'm going to drive this baby home. I'm going to raise my son from the dead. And you're going to see that I not only had victory over sin, but I had victory over death. And I'm going to give you the hope of eternal life with me in the new heaven and the new earth. That was the solution. And what was the outcome? What's the outcome to that? Next slide. Now, this is full of metaphors, and I don't don't like to get too much into, oh, yeah, this is going to be streets paved with gold and the pearly gates, and we're all going to be sitting around singing songs and hymns and stuff. A lot of that's figurative language. But so here's some in, in Revelation 7, 15 through 17. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, Serving him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence, and they shall hunger no more, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them into springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I don't think you're going to cry. I'm not sure about the living water for sure, but the message is this. 1 Corinthians 2.9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor can any mind conceive of the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but I know it's going to be so unbelievably great that it's indescribable. So the outcome of the hope is I get saved from the death penalty that I deserved and I get restored to be a child of God with all the benefits of belonging to Christ. And I am going to reign with him in the new heaven and the new earth and it is going to be so unbelievably spectacular that it's indescribable. All of the needs that we have are going to be perfectly met. We won't even realize we have needs. They're just going to be there. Back to the garden, 2.0, with no chance of ever messing it up again. Every need just there. I can reach up and pick the fruit right off the tree. And the water that I need just comes right up out of the ground. I don't need clothes because it's just warm and everything is just beautiful and there's no striving, no envy, no anger, no hatred, no bitterness. That's the result, and that's the hope that we have for our eternal problem. It was solved by Jesus, and he says just this. Take it. You don't have to earn it. I don't have to fix you first. You don't don't have to come to me and say, yeah, yeah, here, I'm ready. Just take it. It's got your name on it. I got plenty. I got enough for all. But if you don't, you have no hope for your eternal problem because there's just one way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by my free gift where I actually paid for your sins. 
You might try to work that out your own. You might try to pay back God on your own. You might find some other religious construct that you think works for you and think that somehow that's going to solve your eternal problem, but it won't. It won't because Jesus said, the offer's here. You can have it. But there's no other way. There's no other way. That's the hope we have, that there is a way and that God has made that way available. So that was the outcome. Now let's talk about the problem that's now. And I know I'm trying to get you out of here on a reasonable amount of time. But this one is, this one is harder. It's not as, as serious as the eternal problem because eternity is a long, long time. I was, I was with my buddy in Florida this last week, and I was driving in front of this church. Um, we were going back and forth to eat, and I saw this big sign in the church. And it said, hell and eternity is a really, really long time. So that's the big one. You don't want to be on the wrong side of that one. But, but we also have another problem, this life. And so this one's twofold, right? Um, because I believe... If you solve the first problem, that's it. You're in. But then here we are. and there's, there's, So there's people wandering around that haven't solved the first problem, and they're looking around, and they're preaching a gospel of hope to themselves that's never going to deliver. And they're seeking to fulfill all these needs. I, I, I want to make some sort of purpose out of my life. And, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to strive for this. I'm going to try to accomplish this. I'm going to try to be this kind of person. And, and, and somehow, in the end, it'll all pay off, and I'll sit on my deathbed and say, yeah, boy, that life, it was good. And I'm trying to find an identity that I can hang on to that just says, yeah, here I am, and I feel that I'm worthy of love. I feel that I, that I, make, that I make a difference, that I know who I am. And they're looking, and they're looking, and they're looking, and they're not finding it. And they're looking for love and acceptance. And they're, and they're looking to, to feel safe, and so they gather up a bunch of stuff around them. And so their, their, their journey is horrible. You just don't want that. Because they're constantly seeking the needs that they have that God gave them, only they never look in the place where they can be found. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who doesn't come to a realization of that and accept Christ is living the worst possible life they could ever live. No. I'm just saying... They're craving it. You see it in the news. You see it in all the time. People who achieve these great things, and then they find out, it just didn't do it. And then what's left? Um, my buddy is big time that I went to see this last week. Is He works for NASA at the Kennedy Space Center. He's a, uh, an engineer. And he's been involved in the space thing his whole life, even as a kid. You know, the rest of us, you know, we're sports teams, right? And, or, or, or Captain America or your favorite superhero. He, he could tell you every launch that ever happened, all of the crew and what they achieved from, from the time he was 12 years old. And so he was big time into the whole thing with, with space. He, those were his boyhood heroes. But then he read this book. He actually gave me the book. And it was interviews with people who had been to the moon. And basically, the guy who wrote the book said, what do you do when you go to the moon in your, in your early years? How do you top that? And most of them were miserable because they had achieved something that they thought was going to give them satisfaction in this life, and it never happened. Where do you go from there? Mars? So we see it all the time. People trying to find the things that God created in them in some place besides in God, and it's horrible. Tragic. But you know what's more tragic? You know what's even worse than that? When we do it as Christians. See, God died, and the hope that we have here is that when Jesus died on the cross, and when he who knew no sin became sin, it opened the door, it reconciled the relationship back to God, it put the Holy Spirit inside of me whose intent and resources were to change me back into the image of God, into the image of Christ. And I'm still seeking to satisfy the needs of my soul somewhere outside of God. God, I know you saved me. I'm going to heaven. But man, if I could just get this promotion, 
my life would be so much better. If I could just get this many likes on Facebook, man, that'd be so good. If I could just find some sort of security, if I could just get that retirement account up to this level, then, boy, I'll feel so much better. If I can just get that person who's never really loved me to really love me and, and accept me for who I am, boy, that would be so great. And God says, well, I'm not promising you any of that. Here's what I'm promising you. You'll find it in here. You're looking out there. Good luck with that. You're going to find it in here. And so how do we solve this problem? The, the now problem. Next slide. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 10.10. 10. God intends us to have the needs of our soul met. All those things. Love and acceptance, security, hope, satisfaction, identity, and meaning and purpose. I came so you could have those things. I died not only to save you in the sweet by and by in eternity, I saved you so that you could be redone, reconstructed from the old you to the new you so that I could completely satisfy as much as possible all of the needs that you have. You think they're going to be satisfied this way. I got news for you. The only place it's going to happen is with me. Quit looking out there. Look in here. But I'm broken. And see, that's the, that's the conundrum that we have on our temporal problem is Jesus came, and yes, he saved us, and yes, his Holy Spirit is inside me, and yes, he's redoing me over and over, and yes, he'll never quit. But there's a part of me, my flesh, that's still broken, and it wants what it wants when it wants it. And, it, and it's there, and it's my default reaction to everything, and I have to kill that thing off. Actually, I can't do that. But God says this. He says, you die to self and you put a little piece of you on the altar, and every time I'll kill it for you. Because God says this, I died for you, now it's your turn. You need to die to me. If you really want to find satisfaction, if you really want this life to make sense, if you really want all these needs to be met, you have to die. Next slide. So the answer to our problem is this. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The answer to success in this life is to surrender. If you're a Christian... You still have within you, unfortunately, I don't know why, but God didn't take it all when he first came in there, but he says, no, look, I'm going to be there with you, and I'm going to put my spirit inside you, and I'm going to start changing you, and you are going to be a work in progress. You'll never be finished until you die. And I'm willing to do this at a pretty good clip, but you have to die. I have to kill the old you so I can refill you with the new you. And the new you is really great. But every time you hang on to the old you, there it's going to be. And so Paul says, it's no longer I who live. Christ is in there, but i got to die. I was crucified with Christ. One little bit at a time. And I have to put that on the altar and let God kill it so that my temporal problem of living in the flesh, which only brings pain and suffering and disdain for myself and guilt and shame. All of that comes because our flesh is still active and it wants what it wants. And it's, it's the first place I usually go and I have to say, God, I'm having a problem with patience. I have to put that on the altar. I'm having a problem with this sin and I have to put that on the altar. And God says, I'll kill it for you. And it's a process that we have to go through every single day. The solution to this life is to die. Instead of looking for the things outside of us, the answer is within us. And the outcome is this. You can have 
the abundant life now. But here's the bad part. The abundant life exists in the midst of turmoil and strife and pain and sorrow and loss. And we have a hard time reconciling that. If I'm going to be happy, Lord, if I'm going to have joy, if I'm going to have satisfaction, if I'm going to find fulfillment... How am I going to do that when everything around me is so chaotic and painful and broken and hard? Because you're looking out there and you need to look in here. See, right now, God says, you're going to find those things in spite of your circumstances. One day, You'll have all those things because of your circumstances, because I'll be there with you, because I'll take away everything that's broken. But right now, you have to life-proof yourself by giving everything about you that's broken over to God on a daily basis. Because God wants the abundant life for you as a Christian. He doesn't want you to struggle. But we have to recognize That doesn't mean that our life will get easier. In fact, oftentimes your life gets harder when you accept Christ. And that's where in faith we go to the source of our true needs instead of trying to figure it out on our own. That's the gift that God has for you. That's the pathway to an abundant life that Jesus made possible by his death on the cross and his resurrection on the third day. That's what God wants for you. That is the hope for the here and now. Christ tells us in Scripture, I died not only that you may live forever, but that you might have abundant life right here. For me, the second one was a lot harder than the first one. I accepted Christ when I was 12 years old. I never thought... But there was any other alternative. I, it just came as natural as could be, and God led me to himself. But then I had to, you know, and I, I didn't have one of those experiences where, well, my life was so terrible, and I had tried all these things on my own for so long, and they never worked, and I couldn't find satisfaction. I couldn't find peace. I couldn't find joy. No, I, I, I never had that. I never had to face anything really difficult without, without the Lord. But then, but then I had nothing to, to say, well, And I kind of took it all for granted, right? I didn't have that to compare to. And so my biggest problem has been trusting God now and striving for things that God has already given me and I just haven't taken hold of. Hopefully that's not where you're at. But I know that it's a struggle, and it's always going to be a struggle because we have that flesh that's in us. The answer is Jesus, and the answer is to die to to your own sinful nature and let God change you into the image of his son. Jesus is the answer to both of those problems, the problem of eternity and the problem of the here and now. Both of them came because of brokenness and sin. Both of them will be removed as we allow Jesus to take control of our lives. Jesus was the direct solution to one and opening the door to the solution of the other. But the question is this. The next slide. This is from Joshua. It's back a long time ago. Uh, These were my my life verses. And uh, I started out there in the first part of of Joshua in chapter 1 of um, be strong and courageous. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. And then this one we, we've often seen at the very end in verse 15. But this is Joshua asking, this is asking God's people. This is God's people who were wandering around in the desert for all this time, and, and they're ready to go into the promised land. And he's saying, look, dudes, you got to decide. Now, therefore, fear the God and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers, those of you who rebelled while you're out there wandering around and beyond the river and when you were back in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then this is the deal. Choose this day whom you will serve. 
whether it's the gods of your fathers. Now I'm going to say whether it's the things of this world, whether it's trying to find satisfaction outside of God, you've got to choose this day. Are you going to accept Christ and for his solution for your eternal problem? But also, if you are already God's child, are you going to accept God's answer to your life here today? Because we're serving the gods of this world when we try to find anything that satisfies us outside God. That's an idol. Whether, you, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to ask you that question today and challenge you. I am not one of those doomsday people. I am not one that's making predictions. This much I know. I'm old. My time's going to be over before you know it. But from all indications, Jesus could come back anytime. Choose this day who you will serve, both for your eternal salvation and your life here on earth. Don't wait. Do it now. This is maybe the only chance you get. Not a one of us is guaranteed tomorrow. This is a message that we need to hear, and this is a message that we need to share. There's only hope in one thing in one place, and that's Jesus. For this life and the next. Do it now. Let's pray. Father, uh, I, I don't even know how my eyes got open to understand any of this stuff, but you did it. It says uh, uh, in, our, in our natural state, we, we don't even want to look for you. We, we, nobody came looking. You came and got us. Lord, I am so grateful to be one of your children. I am. I am so grateful. But Lord, um, I... I you also are tasking us to not just live for you, but die for you as well. So I pray, Lord, that you take and you kill us off one piece at a time and that we would submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to you. And then I know from experience in my own life and from Scripture that there's nothing you can't do through those who surrender to you because you do it through them, and that's what we need. We need you working in us. It's not we who live, but you who live in us. But in order to do that, it requires surrender from us. Overwhelm us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. When we, when we resist, just take us over. And then we will stand back in awe as we watch what you'll do through tools in your hands. I thank you for my eternal salvation. And Lord, I also thank you that you love me enough to kill me. I thank you and praise you in all this. In Jesus' name, amen.